May it be a new week that is filled with blessing and goodness for us all. L'chaim. So it's interesting that amongst many other things, in our study of Rambam, we are finishing the laws of Tumas Saras, the, what's mistranslated as leprosy, but was a paranormal condition in the time when the Beis Hamikdash stood and miracles abounded. And a primary theme in the laws of Tzaras is the notion of quarantine, something that wasn't once part of our vernacular, our everyday language, but unfortunately is very much a part of our reality today. And today we make a siyum on the laws of Tzaras, and I'm soon making a siyum on my personal quarantine. <laughs> and I hope we all get out of lockdown and quarantine very soon. So the final words in which Rambam speaks at the end of the laws of Tumas Saras, which I want to start tonight's Zumbrengen with, he talks about the debilitating and the terrible effects of Lush and Hara, of evil, slanderish, and, and, and um, gossip-mogging speech. And he talks about the notion of it being a slippery slope. He says it starts by um, making fun of ordinary people. Eventually, it goes to making fun of Torah scholars and even of prophets. And in the end, he says, these are the same people who stand against Hashem himself. And the Ramam finishes off, in, of course, in a positive note, and he says that this is all, all about environment. He says if you, if you engage in that kind of environment, then this is sicha sarashayim. This is empty, vacuous, wicked, and self-serving speech. Shegerem Islam, which is caused by yeshivas kronos, by loitering and hanging out in empty places. Yeshivas knesiyas lamayaretz, people who are empty or devoid of content. Or yeshivas bati mishtois im sheisei Hanging out at the bar. <laughs> Nobody's doing much of that these days. Avalsichas, that's a silver lining. Avalsichas, However, the talk, the conversation of those who behave appropriately, the appropriate ones of Israel. They focus on words of Torah and on the ideas of wisdom. And they have intelligent, meaningful speech. Therefore, is right there at their side, and he makes them meritorious. Shanemar, as the last of the prophets, Malachi, who the Gemara thinks could even be Mordechai, but assumes in the end that is Ezra, but he is considered to be the last of the closing of the prophecies that Malachi says in the third chapter. Then those who live a life of meaning and of reverence towards Hashem, speak to one another. And obviously, they're not talking Lashon Hara. These are good people. By Yakshev Hashem, Hashem listens in. By Yishma, and He hears. By Yikosev, Sefer Zikar and Lofanov. And this is recorded before Hashem. Le'yire Hashem, for those who revere Hashem, for those who give honor and hold Hashem in high esteem. So essentially, we're told that when we take the time to invest the gift of life properly, and we make the toil and effort to use speech as Hashem intended it to be, that Hashem participates in our conversations, and the Rambam interprets that as Hashem being there to help, to aid, and assist us in being successful. That concludes the laws of Tumas Saras with Hashem's help, and hopefully soon we will be concluding not only quarantine, but lockdown altogether. Um, it should be noted that at the beginning of Chedesh Adar, the schools are going to be opening in Ontario, and I think that nothing is by accident. And I would like to say l'chaim to all of you. 
with a prayer that Emirat Hashem next Shabbos, which will be the first Shabbos in Chedesh Adar, that we should be back in Shul again, not at limitations of 10 people, but at least 30%, the way we had it before, and, and even better. And the numbers should drop, and we should hear and share good news, and Emirat Hashem all be safe and secure. And Chedesh Adar, which is a Mazeldik Chedesh, the time of Nepach Lahem. Last year, Chedesh Adar is when everything turned inside out for us. Who knows if there weren't hidden blessings and maybe Hashem was protecting Israel from all kinds of um, machinations that our enemies had. Maybe that's why the world was turned inside out. Who knows? But now we ask that Hashem turn things inside out again. And Chedesh Adar should be the month in which we see miraculous deliverance. Bechlal ubefrat. Broadly speaking, and also in our own personal lives. So l'chaim, l'chaim, l'chaim. So I want to dedicate this uh, Zoom Brainian to the holy memory of Rabbi Dr. Abraham J. Tversky, whose shiva will be coming to a close in several hours in the land of Israel. A remarkable individual whose feet were firmly planted in two worlds, the worlds of Torah and Chassidus, and conversely, the worlds of medicine and the secular world. And he bridged these two worlds in an extraordinary way, which has a lot to do with Parshat Yisro, as I spoke in the class that I delivered in his memory at the first night of his shiva on Sunday evening. So Rabbi Tversky was actually the second cousin of the Debitzin. And that's because Rabbi Tversky's bloodline, he traces himself back, Ben Achaben, to the eldest disciple of the Magid of Mizrich, whose name was Reb Nachum of Chernobyl, whose last name is Tversky. But he's also descended of the Alter Rebbe, the founder of the Chabad movement, and the Mittler Rebbe, and the second son, the son, the son of the Alter Rebbe, who became the second Rebbe. And the story goes like this. There was, there was one Shabbos where the Alter Rebbe showed up in Chernobyl. Chernobyl was famous in the Jewish or Hasidic world long before the reactor melted down. <laughs> that was the seat of a major, major school of Hasidus, um, the Tversky family, and the many, many illustrious tributaries that came from Chernobyl. And the Alter Rebbe shows up at the door of his good friend, Reb Nochem, his, his elder esteemed colleague, Reb Nochem, the eldest disciple, and the Alter Rebbe being the youngest disciple of the Magid of Mizrich. Reb Nochem was very surprised to have the Alter Rebbe join him on this Friday afternoon, uh, but very pleased, and he assumed that the Alter Rebbe would teach, would share words of Hasidus in his unique Chabad way at Friday night. So Reb Nachum said to the Alter Rebbe, please, teach Hasidus. And the Alter Rebbe said, no, no, it's not necessary. And so Reb Nachum led the Tish, or Fabreng, as it was on Friday night, as he always did. And then on Shabbos morning again, Reb Nachum asked the Alter Rebbe to speak, and the Alter Rebbe politely demurred. And the same thing happened at Sudash Lishit. Comes Matzai Shabbos, uh, Reb Nachum says to the Alter Rebbe, I... I, I I don't understand. Uh, why, why? I'm very honored that you're here with me for Shabbos, but, but why did you come? So the Alter Rebbe said, do you, uh, do you have Malav Malka? Do you have a meal after Shabbos? And Malav said, certainly. And the Alter Rebbe said, do you make a point of drinking from water that's drawn from a live well, a stream, on, on, on Saturday night, as is the custom? And Ibn Nachum said, yes. And are you going to get water? And, and he said, yes. Alter Rebbe says, good. I'd like to have a conversation with you. So, the, oh, so he said, let's, let's have a conversation. He says, no, no. Let's go together for a walk. It's a private conversation. 
they went to draw water, and the next morning when people were coming to Shul, at about 6 a.m., when uh, dawn was coming to the town of Chernobyl, they could see two figures in animated conversation with a bucket of water next to them. And as they came closer, they saw this was Reb Nachum of Chernobyl and the Alter Rebbe, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who were in animated conversation the entire night long. Nobody knows what the content of that conversation was, and nobody knows why it is that the Alter Rebbe chose to visit Chernobyl and what he wanted to accomplish. Here's what we do know. As day was breaking, the Alter Rebbe said to Reb Nachum, there was a tradition in, in the house of the Magid that Mashiach would descend from the eldest disciple or the youngest disciple. So the Alter Rebbe said to Reb Nachum, let us make a shidduch of our grandchildren. And maybe this will accelerate the process of Mashiach's arrival. So Reb Nachum said, great. <laughs> the, the grandchildren were all small. They were young grandfathers at the time. And the grandchildren were sleeping over at the Zaydi's house. So Reb Nachum brings the Alter Rebbe into the room where his grandchildren were sleeping. And he says, any of these grandsons that you uh, see something special about? And the story goes, Alter Rebbe went over to the different boys sleeping and he pointed to this one child and he said, I think this child is destined to marry one of my granddaughters. And his name was Yaakov Yisrael. He was the eldest son of Reb Mordechai of Chernobyl, who became his father's successor. And Reb Yaakov Yisrael indeed ended up marrying the Mittler Rebbe's daughter. And he became Rebbe in a town called Cherkasi. That is the bloodline of the Rebetzin because Betzamach Tzedek's son ended up getting married to a, a, one of the daughters of Yaakov Sol Chekasser. His name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak and he is the grandfather of the Friedrich Rebbe. And he's also the grandfather of the Yaakov Sol Chekasser, Yaakov Sol Tversky, is the grandfather, the great-grandfather of, of Rabbi Abraham J. Tversky. So he is descended from the Alter Rebbe, Mittler Rebbe, the Nachum of Chernobyl, the Matl of Chernobyl, the Bianchi Yisrael, and that's from his father's side. His mother was the daughter of the then Baba Rebbe, the Baba Rebbe before the war, who was known as the Kedusha Sin. He was murdered by the Nazis, Yimach Shemal. So there's a very interesting uh, story about the Kedusha Sin's father, the first Baba Rebbe, was a descendant of the Tzanzarov. And that's a, it's a very interesting story in my family, but it's not well known. So I was sitting next to Rabbi Tversky, and I said to Rabbi Tversky, I would like to tell you a story about your grandfather, your great-grandfather that you never heard. So he said to me, how do you know I never heard it? I said, uh, I'm pretty sure you never heard it. He said, okay, I'd love to hear the story. Tell me the story. So I said to him, my mother's mother was the daughter of the last shochet of Matesdorf. Matesdorf was a very, very uh, well-known and, and highly respected town in Hungary. And it was, there were seven communities that were seven small shtetlach that Matesdorf was considered to be the chief uh, city, so to speak, amongst these seven shtetlach, all the shtetlach associated with Matesdorf. And the Matesdorfer Shoichet was the Shoichet for what was known as the Sheva Kilis, these seven communities. And the Matesdorfer Rav was the Rav for the seven communities. 
my Elta Zeda, my great-grandfather, my Bubby Hecht's father, Rabbi Baruch Greenot, was the last Shochet of Matazov. And when the Nazis came to power in Austria, and there was an Einschloss, I think that part of Hungary could be, was even was even part of Austria, and the Austro-Hungarian border was right away uh, co-opted by the Nazis, and the persecutions began. We have a picture of my grandfather with his flowing, uh, you know, blonde beard with a little bit of gray in it, sweeping the street with an armband with a, um, a Star of David, along with other prominent members of the Matasdorf leadership. And there's an, an SS man pointing a gun at my great-grandfather. And you see him sweeping the street and being um, denigrated. Then later he was taken by the Nazis. He was beaten, literally, uh, black and blue. And the community decided that uh, probably this would be, you know, as things had been in the past, difficult years, and that the leadership was going to be persecuted. So they collected money amongst themselves, and they decided to send away the Rav, and the Shaykhet, and the Rosh Hashiva, and the Parnas. And they said, go to America for a year or two, and then you'll come back. And that was the plan. That was the plan. My grandmother was a 16-year-old girl, and she left with her younger brother and older sister to go to America for two years, and then to come back to Europe. But of course, everybody knows that there was nothing to come back to, unfortunately. My Elta Zeda was a Shaykhet, and... Uh, a, a well-known sheikhet, and he wanted to shecht in, in, um, in New York, in America, but there was no glat kosher shechita. It's a long story, but the Jewish uh, mafia, if you will, kind of had co-opted the shechita, and it, it, people who were Yiddishamayim, people who, who took Yiddishkeit seriously, did not eat meat. In fact, I know from my, my grandfather, Hef, told me that his family grew up, he never tasted a piece of meat. The meat was unheard of. Chicken you could bring to a local sheikhet, but there was no glat kosher meat in North America. And he was the matas for sheikhet. And it's a, a long story, maybe for a different matzah Shabbos, of how he managed to, so to speak, to break this cartel. He was very melodious and musical, and he sang to them, and he finally said, let me shecht just one animal. And they let him shecht to one animal and a second animal, and that's how glat kosher shechita started. So the story I told Rabbi Tversky is that my great-grandfather, Rabbi Baruch, was the son of a rabbi whose name is Eliyahu. And this Eliyahu, he was the only son of, of, uh, of, of his father from the second marriage. There was a first marriage, and we don't know what happened. That whole family was wiped out in the war. We, we, we have no connection. But the second marriage, my, my great-great-grandmother had several miscarriages in a row. So Rabbi Eliyahu was from Agalatsianer, living in southern Poland. He went to his Rebbe, Reb Shleim of Bavav, and he wept before him. He said, I married, uh, I married this uh, second marriage, and we're having so much grief. He said, we lost three children in a row. Every time the pregnancy comes near term, my wife miscarries. So the Shleim of Bavav said, Azoi, really? The next time she becomes pregnant, he says, let her come to my house, and she will live in my house, and she will have a baby. And so it was. Uh, Rabbi Eliyahu came with his wife, who I'm embarrassed to say I don't know what her name was. <laughs> um, and she was pregnant, and she lived in the Baba Rebbe's home for the duration of her pregnancy. And the baby was born, and that was the only child she ever had, and that is my Bubby's father.
That was Rabbi Elio Greenot, the first glat kosher shirchit in America. How do we know the story? My great-grandfather passed away at a, a very, very young age. He was uh, mid-70s. I remember him. I, met him. I remember him the last, the last Purim of his life. But he passed away several months later. And his funeral had a surprise visitor. The Baba Rebbe from Borough Park, who was named after his grandfather, Reb Shlema, Reb Shlema Baba showed up at the funeral. And my father told me that, that he went over to the Baba Rebbe was very surprised. He said the, the Baba Rebbe came actually to the cemetery and he was present at the burial. And he said to the Baba Rebbe, why, why are you here? Like, we didn't know that my, my great-grandfather had a, a closeness with the Satmarov, with the Tzelemarov, but he, he didn't know that he had a connection to the Baba Rebbe. So he said to him, I'll tell you why. When I came to America, he said, a Holocaust survivor, I was broken in body and in spirit. And the first one who came over to me and gave me money to help support me, to put my life back together, the first one was the Shaykhet Rabbi Baruch Grinot. And he said, I remained eternally grateful to him. He was the first one who came to me. And I asked him, he said. I asked him, because he wasn't a wealthy man at all, and he gave me a significant sum of money. I asked him, why, why are you coming to me? The Baba was a young man. He was a young man. His older brother was murdered in communist Russia. And nobody, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was a a survivor broken in every way at the time. And my great-grandfather said to him, I am alive thanks to your grandfather, and now is my time to repay the debt. And the Baba Verebbe said to my father, that's why I came to this funeral, because I never forgot that kindness, and I wanted to participate and say goodbye to a man who gave me a sense of hope and life when I first arrived in the United States. So I told this to Rabbi Tversky, Abitorsky, of course, is a, is a grandson of the Kedusha Seer, of, um, of, of the Pshleim uh, of Bab, of the second Bab of Rebbe's son. That was his mother's father. He said to me, thank you very much, he said, I never heard that story. I never heard that story. But he said, I'm going to tell you a story that you never heard. And he started to talk to me about Tzaddikim. And he said, he said to me, who, who can fathom the ways of Tzaddikim? Who could fathom how they live, how they function, he says. I said, I can't, I can't even imagine, he says. I have no understanding of it whatsoever. He said to me, there's a story with a, a great uncle of mine, or a great, great uncle, and I feel so bad, I didn't write this down, I don't remember the name. It was one of the Chernobyl Rebbe's, one of the Nachman Chernobyl's um, grandsons, who didn't become a Rebbe. And his brother was a Rebbe. But he wasn't a Rebbe, he was the brother of a Rebbe, but he, but he was known to be a Tzaddik. And a man came to him, and he said to him, that my wife had several miscarriages, and I'm asking you to give me a bracha, that my wife should have a baby, carry a baby to full term, and I should have children. So Rabbi Tversky said that this great-great-uncle said to him, what do you want from me? I'm not a Rebbe. I'm not a Rebbe. <laughs> I, I don't give brachas. So he said, and Rabbi Tversky had a very unique way of, uh, of telling a story. He was like his eyes would open up, like, and he leaned forward, it's very, very memorable. And he said to me, lean forward like this, and he said to me, he said to me, the, the man said to, to this tzaddik, he said, If you can't help me, okay, I forgive you, you can't help me. But if you can help me, and you don't want to help me, 
I never will forgive you, said the man. Nishtaf dervelt, or nishtaf yenevelt. I will not forgive him, not in this world. I will not forgive him in the other world. I will never forgive you. Rabbi Tversky told me, <laughs> remember he took his, his hands, and he began to rock his head back and forth like this. And he said, this uncle, member of the family, this tzaddik who wasn't a Rebbe, he said like this, he said, Azoi, nishtaf dervelt, nishtaf yenevelt. Not on this world, not on the other world. Azoi, said Rabbi Tversky, nishtaf dervelt. Ah, ah, he rocked his head back and forth, and he said to him, Okay, tell your wife to come here. So, Rabbi said, This man, this chassid, brought his wife to the to this tzaddik. And there's a Mishnah, I'll paraphrase this Mishnah now, and I'll explain the Mishnah, what it means in a literal level, and then you'll understand how it's used euphemistically in the story. So, the Mishnah in Mesechet Avot tells us that there were ten miracles that happened in the Beis Hamigdash on a regular basis. And one of them was Lehipila Isha Meireach Besara Kodesh. That it never happened that because of the pungent smell of the karbanot, the offerings, it was very, very powerful odors of karbanos being burnt. And sometimes this could bring on premature labor. And you're talking about the course of over 900 years, over nine centuries, millions and millions of Jewish people visited the Beis Hamikdash during the period of that time. There was many pregnant women amongst them, and and the Mishnah says to us, never ever did it happen that a pregnant woman was miscarried or had premature labor triggered because of these odors, which is what you would call a statistic impossibility. Invariably, when you have such very strong smells and strong odors and strong, this could cause something like that to happen. But it never happened. Never, ever, ever happened in the Beis HaMikdash. That's what the Mishnah says. So Tversky said to me, he said to me, the, the tzaddik, when the woman came, the tzaddik lifted his hand, and he said, Shmekun! Smell, I guess, there's like some body odor, whatever, smell. And he said, as she smelled, he said, Lohipilo Isha, a woman doesn't miscarry, Mireach Besara Kodesh, from the odor of sacred flesh, which is a euphemism. There's a notion, there's a medrash that talks about the Yitzchak Avinu, the Arachayim talks about it. He calls the Arachayim, says about Yitzchak Avinu, that he was called Besar Kodesh. A tzaddik is called sacred flesh. As if to say that from smelling his body odor, she would not miscarry. But in fact, the Ritwerski says to me, and she didn't miscarry, and she had healthy children. And then he said to me, does that make sense to you? He says to me. Does that make any sense to you? That, it's totally off the charts, he said. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. How would that stop a woman from miscarrying? And I said to him, I, I don't know. <laughs> he says, yeah, I don't know either. But tzaddikim are tzaddikim. And this is why we revere tzaddikim. He says we don't understand how tzaddikim have a special way with Hashem. And tzaddikim have the ability to bring forth blessing and to reveal our potential in a unique way. We don't, we don't understand it. He says, we don't have to understand it. That's the fact. I want to finish off, uh, since we talked about a euphemism in a Mishnah, the first time that Rabbi Tversky was at Yechidus by the Rebbe, I believe it was in the late 60s. And when he came in, you know, he was already an accomplished person. He was already, he's a big Talmud Chacham and a Hasidic Shayid and a psychiatrist, and I don't know if he had written his Peanuts books yet, but he was already well-known. And when he walked in, he's, and he's a Benam Shal Kedoshim, he's the Rebetzin's cousin, and he's a great-grandson great of the Baba Rebbe, I mean, he was a, 
he has lineage from all sides. So the Rebbe said to him, when he came into the Rebbe's study, was was rare, but the Rebbe just says, the Rebbe said, Zetzach, please have a seat. Usually in Yechidus, people would stand. So he said to the Rebbe, Ein yeshiva ba'azara, elo l'malchei beis David, which is a paraphrasing of a Mishnah. The Mishnah says that in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash, only the royal house of David HaMelech would sit. So it's a euphemism. He was, he was doing a play on words that the Rebbe's room to him was like a courtyard of a Beis HaMikdash. And Malchei Beis David is a euphemism because Man Malki, the Mishnah says, who is royalty, who is the Davidic house today, Rabbanon, our great leaders, our rabbis and tzaddikim. So he said, Ein yeshiva ba'azara Malchei Beis David. And in other words, he did not consider himself Malchei Beis David, and he said, I'm not going to sit. So the Rebbe said, okay. And the Rebbe began to speak to him about a number of things, much of what he, which he did not share. But one thing he did share, I heard this from Rabbi Yisrael Darren. So one thing that he did share from that Yechidus is, uh, not on, in a conversation about, about, about Hasidus, the Rebbe began to speak to him about psychology, psychology and psychiatry. And the Rebbe had a very, very wide knowledge of the medical terms and the ideas. And the Rebbe said to him that he believed it would be important to promote the works of Viktor Frankl. Now, Viktor Frankl was almost unknown at the time. Sigmund Freud was all the rage in the 60s. And uh, the Rebbe, there's a number of stories of the Rebbe quietly pushing Viktor Frankl's thesis. Uh, today, he's, uh, he has his, very, his works are widely read, man's uh, search for meaning, and other, other famous books. So Rabbi Tversky didn't know much about Viktor Frankl, and he expressed an uncomfortability by getting involved. He, he, I don't know, he didn't, he didn't want to, he, he, he expressed his reservations to the Rebbe. So the Rebbe said to him, do you need a malach to come from heaven and tell you that it's a right thing to do? So when he heard these words from the Rebbe, he said no. He said no, he said. For me it's enough when you have a Rebbe who's daima l'malach Hashem tzvois, which is also a paraphrasing of a Mishnah. It's enough when I have a Rebbe who is like an angel standing before me. And indeed, Rabbi Tversky did get in touch with Viktor Frankl and he was one of the first to begin to promote his work. I'm not sure if he did it in a public manner or in a private manner, but he did work and started to promote the work and the thesis of, of Viktor Frankl. And so I want to conclude with the notion that the mind is a powerful thing and psychiatry done right is about enabling people to overcome natural fears, anxieties, inhibitions, and weaknesses by strengthening their mind, by using their mind, by refocusing the, the mind on what's good and what's positive, and finding the courage and the stamina and the strength to overcome the fears and anxieties which can inhibit and overwhelm a person so that we should be healthy and that we should be happy and we should be able to function right. And there are various times of the year when Hashem asks us, to marshal the powers of our hearts and our minds in various ways. So high holidays comes along, we have to work on developing a sense of awe, a sense of reverence for Hashem, and then we move from that awe, we move into a sublime form of simcha from days of awe to days of joy. Hanukkah is a time when we have to focus on darkness and finding ways to illuminate it. The month of Adar is the time, the key to unlocking potential during this month is joy. So much so that it's a halacha in the Shulchan Aruch. 
The Talmud Yerushalmi is of the opinion that one can read the Megillah and fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim during the entirety of the month of Adar. The Talmud Babli disagrees, and of course that's the halacha. The Talmud Babli introduces the idea that there are several days, five in total, in which the Megillah could be read, but that's only in a time when Jewish people are living in Eretz Yisrael and it's Shonim Kitikunam. In our day and age, the Megillah can only be read on two days, the 14th or the 15th. However, the Talmud Babli does say, Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, that the joy of Purim goes far beyond the two days of Megillah readings and far beyond the days in which we can fill the actual mitzvahs of Purim. That is to say, Hashem has blessings for us always. And there are different keys to unlock that door. Now, the Avedah is Simcha. The Rebbe, I believe in the last Shabbos Mavarchim of Chedesh Adar, before his stroke, said that the Avedah, that the service to Hashem, that the toil and the effort that's placed on Simcha begins not on Rosh Chodesh Adar, but it actually begins on Shabbos Mavarchim. So we have a whole week, my friends, to work on being happy, <laughs> to work on focusing on the good things we have in life. And I know this is not the easiest time to be happy, but it, it's a, a very important time to be happy. And if we will find joy in life and in Hashem's blessings, despite the challenges we're currently facing, Merz Hashem, let us hope that our avoid, our efforts to find joy in every which way, and our efforts to fill our avoidus Hashem, our davening, our study of Torah, our giving of tzedakah, our engaging with others in a kind, compassionate, and sensitive way, in a manner that all of this is punctuated and uplifted by joy, that's the key to unlock the brachas, the, brach the blessings for all of us. So l'chaim to you all, l'chaim, l'chaim. Hashem should give us the koyach, and we should respond appropriately. Mishanichnes adar, the Rebbe says, from Shabbos Mavarchen, which was today, and this is the fabrengen that follows Shabbos Mavarchen, marbim, Besimcha. There's a famous Galiziana Taich, uh, Polish Hasidish adage, Marbim. How do we increase? How does everything good increase? All good things increase now, Besimcha, through the Avoida of Simcha, through the Avoida of joy. May we hear good news, may we share good news, may the first Shabbos and other find us back in Shul without these limitations, may lockdowns be lifted, and may the joy be experienced by each and every one of us, and hopefully, as a result of our Simcha, we will merit to see the Simchas Oilam, the eternal joy, brought to us through Mashiach Tzidkenu, then Heira will be Amenu Amen. L'chaim, everybody. L'chaim, L'chaim. Amen. And may the Aliyah of Rabbi Tversky and Shama have an Aliyah, and may he be a good to better for all of Klai Yisrael. Amen. L'chaim. All right, my friends. <laughs> That's all she wrote for tonight. It will be important to promote the works of Victor Frankl. Somebody's already... Yeah. <laughs> That's a playback. Wow, okay. All right, you can all unmute now, my friends. We can all... There's a second play on Facebook, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why we... we Shavua Tov, everybody. Agutavach, Afrelechavach, Amazlikavach. The Suras Tevis. Thank you, Jonathan and Tracy. Yashikoya for Abdullah. And may good news and happiness come from your home, Amir Tzashem. And good health for us all. Mentally, spiritually, physically, 
in every which way, emotionally. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. He was very, very involved. The last years of his life, he devoted entirely to helping addicts recover. And he was singularly responsible for literally probably thousands of addicts who were rehabilitated. There's a colleague of mine who runs an organization in Florida, which is dedicated to, to, uh, to, to this, this uh, very important work. And Rabbi Tversky was very involved with him. I think it's called the Jewish Recovery Center in Florida, Rabbi Kessler. I know that during the last years of his life, uh, Rabbi Tversky uh, really declined, as a rule, almost all speaking engagements, and the only things that he spoke to and for were with regard to addiction. That became his, his, his that was his, literally what he dedicated his final years to. All types of addiction, Rabbi? I, I think so. I'm not, I'm not very much aware of it, but I, I, I think so. I think primarily substance abuse, but I think really all kinds of addiction. And he, and he, found, that, uh, he found that to be tremendously important. He started two clinics, right? Um, the Gateway or something, or he worked together with Gateway. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not versed in the details, but he was very involved. I mean, I'm telling you, the last years of his life, it was, it was, uh, he would really only speak to, to organizations that were involved with that. I, I, I once spoke to him at some point to come to Toronto for something, and he said to me, "I'm only going to come if it's addiction related." The only time he came to Toronto that wasn't addiction was for uh, the Kedoshim, Rabbi uh, Gabi and Rifki Holtzberg. He came for the Shloshim, but, but that he told me was an exception that he made. And otherwise, he was only taking uh, engagements with regard if it helped people that were helping with addiction. Was there any reason why uh, uh, Dr. Torsky got, got into psychology or psychiatry? Was there anything related to the Rebbe or something? Uh, no, I, I, th I think he wanted to help people. I think he wanted to help people, and he found that was the way he could help people best. Anyway, I'm not an expert on his life. I don't, maybe Howard knows more. <laughs> Howard, do you know? Did you, did you read? Yeah, I read his obituary, and his obituary had said that his father counseled many people, and he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, but he felt the only way he could do that effectively is by going to medical school. So he decided to go the route of medical school, and uh, right, and and he helped so many people. I mean, it's it's uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, but the still live on Facebook. I'm still live on Facebook. All right, let, let me unlive myself on Facebook.